Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Well, when I asked you all what would you like to hear about on the next season of All Things, one of the most frequently requested topics was transgenderism. Of course, it's a topic that I'd prefer to avoid. It's really complicated. There's so many layers. There's a huge spectrum of people that could identify in one way or another as trans, and I hate the thought of causing anyone pain or adding to any shame or discomfort that anyone might feel. Not only that, but no matter how nuanced or how loving or how careful my words and tone are, I will undoubtedly be misunderstood and misrepresented. But today it feels like a good time as any to go ahead and tackle this topic because for one, the Equality Equality Act just passed in the House of Representatives yesterday afternoon. It's impossible to say if if it's going to pass the Senate, but it's on its way. And President Biden wants to sign this into law in his first 100 days in office. Not only is the Equality Act making headlines, but also a book entitled When Harry Became Sally, responding to the transgender moment by Ryan Anderson, was removed from Amazon this week without any warning or any explanation. Ryan Anderson is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's also the author of several books about marriage, gender, religious liberty. He's been on ABC, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, and Fox News. He's also written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. He's got degrees from Princeton and the University of Notre Dame. Nonetheless, even with those credentials, his book was banned by Amazon this week. Well, the same thing happened to author Abigail Schreier a few months back. Schreier released the book Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters in late 2020. And though she writes for the Wall Street Journal and she holds degrees from Columbia, Oxford, and Yale, she immediately faced censorship from both Amazon and Target. Well, her book returned to the shelves at both places, but just this week, again, Target has removed it. So it feels like we've got this confluence of events happening right at this moment. The Equality Act passed, plus books are being banned. And not only that, but I am hearing from listeners and readers every week who say they just aren't sure how to respond to what feels like this transgender tsunami of sorts in our culture, especially when it comes to them coaching their kids through all of these issues. Of course, our kids are facing tons of influences at school and amongst their friends. We're seeing girls in our kids' youth groups or our kids' classes or our community who are transitioning to becoming boys. And my Myself, friends, listeners, we all want to respond rightly. Parents and leaders want to know what to do, how to respond with both compassion and conviction, how to see this issue through the lens of both grace and truth. So that's where I'm going with this episode. The issue of transgenderism is huge. We could go in so many directions, but I'm going to stay in sort of what is my own lane and look at the transgender issue from where I'm sitting as a mom of girls, a student of the Bible, And as someone who has read at least a dozen books on this very issue in the last year, and I've looked at a ton of sociological data, as this actual issue is a chapter in my book that's coming out next year. So it's a place where I have immersed myself and I feel ready to discuss it, even though I would prefer to avoid it. So I want to speak into this issue as someone who wants what's good and what's beautiful and what's true in the world for the flourishing of all human beings. That's the perspective that I'm coming from. So to start with, I think we need to understand that the current transgender phenomena that we're witnessing is just one symptom 
of the wider culture and the age that we live in. We are living in the age of self. Our favorite mantras are live your truth or you do you. And we are as a people largely disconnected from each other. We're we're largely ungrounded or detached from our family's identity or our cultural identity or a community identity. We're very much alone as individuals in many ways. We see ourselves as just ourselves. We must define ourselves or invent ourselves or create ourselves. We feel this pressure to be sort of self-created, self-made. We're told that self-creation and self-actualization is really where freedom is found. The culture says you will be free when you define yourself. In this way, we feel like we've got to invent ourselves. We've got to conjure up our own identity. We've got to make ourselves happen, hold ourselves up, try to convince ourselves that we have got this. In this way, there is just so much pressure on you and me. And the truth is this way of life, this age of self, this misplaced reliance on self is killing us quite literally and figuratively. It is harming us because the truth is you and I are finite. We are frail. We are fallen human beings. We are created. We are limited. We are not God and nor are we meant to behave like him. Because we're living in this age where our identity is self-made, if anyone questions our identity, if anyone dares to make a statement about maybe objective truth or fixed nature or fixed identities, or if anyone even dares to just wonder or suspect that creating our own identities out of thin air might not be a viable way to live, that person is deemed as not only wrong, but as harmful. When we question anybody's identity or lifestyle choices, it feels really personal to that person. Like it's a personal and hateful and hurtful attack. So it makes these conversations really difficult to have. And it makes clear the need for us to be grounded in truth and also to be humble and to be saturated in prayer because speech that is based on absolute truth is deemed as hateful or harmful. Um, the public square immediately bans it. That's why we're seeing books being banned. That's why we're seeing the Equality Act. It's any any time an absolute truth is raised, it must be banned because it's seen to be hurtful or harmful. And in this age of sexual autonomy and expressive individualism, we think those are our highest good. The best thing for us is to sort of express ourselves individualistically and sexually. But in so doing, we've put ourselves into a seat that's made solely for God. And the dark truth is, We make pretty flimsy and insecure gods. So in our effort to protect our fragile nature, we hunger and thirst for the affirmation of others, and we rush to take actions that are really short-sighted, that are not actually helpful. So the Equality Act and banning books and letting a girl live her truth by becoming a boy, those things all sound nice on the surface, don't they? I mean, who doesn't want equality? Who doesn't want to put an end to hateful speech? Who doesn't want a girl who is suffering to experience immediate relief? All of those things sound really good. But the truth is these superficial actions are more destructive than they are helpful. The Equality Act and book banning and, for example, providing maybe puberty blockers to a suffering girl, these all fall woefully short of actually providing tangible help and hope to those who suffer. They're really performative. They're performative shortcuts that give this air of action, but they don't really dig deep. They don't really get involved in the lives of others. They don't really commit to long-term and soul-deep help for those who need it. And that's what we want, right? That's what we need. We want genuine help. We want genuine hope. So how should 
parents and pastors and teachers and youth workers? How should anyone who has a role in the lives of adolescent girls or young adult women, especially navigate this moment? And here's what I believe with my whole heart before I even go on. I want to tell you, we are not without hope in this moment. We who are Christians know the creator and the savior of the universe. We know the God who knit us together. We know the God who purposely designed us in his image. He made us female and male with specific designs and callings on our specific sexes. We don't need to feel fearful. We don't need to feel overwhelmed. We know the God who brought the earth and every woman and girl into existence, into existence. His authority does not waver with social movements or with legislation or with book bannings. We know the giver of life. We do not need to be afraid. So let's go to him. So let's first take a look at the transgender phenomena that is happening right now. Here's what's been going on for the last several years, just in the West And just over the last decade, listen to this, there has been a 1000% to 5000% increase in mostly white teenage females seeking treatment for gender dysphoria. So before 2012, there was no scientific literature, meaning nothing was going on in the medical community with girls ages 11 to 21 having developed gender dysphoria at all. But now girls constitute the vast majority of those who seek treatment for gender dysphoria. One researcher out of Brown University named this phenomena rapid onset gender dysphoria or ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's not the same as traditional gender dysphoria. Traditional gender dysphoria, that's, you know, nothing is new under the sun. That's marked by persistent dysphoria from an early childhood, from toddlerhood. But ROGD, by contrast, it's sudden, it's rapid, and it exclusively arises in teens who have never before experienced discomfort with their gender. And it almost solely happens amongst groups of girls who are socially related to each other. So groups of girls who are friends, who are in a clique, who go to school together, who socialize together. Researchers believe then that ROGD ROGD has a social contagion. So we've seen similar phenomena to this in the past, in recent history, maybe with anorexia or cutting, where when one girl starts, then her friends also participate in anorexia and cutting. ROGD seems to fit that. It's contagious in that way, socially. I highly recommend Abigail Schreier's book to you. It's called Irreversible Damage. She conducted hundreds of interviews to really understand ROGD, how it happens, and how to help girls and their parents who are suddenly facing it. So if you want to know more, go to Abigail Schreier's book. Here's how ROGD typically comes to pass. Here's what's sort of typical, a typical history for a girl facing ROGD. So starting in kindergarten, many schools use tools like the gender bred person or the gender unicorn. These tools teach children that their identity, their expression, their sex, their gender, their sexual orientation can all be different. Meaning they tell children, your body and your mind, your physical body and your feelings, they're not unified. They're not the same. They don't have to be in alignment with one another. There's so much more I could say on this point alone. In fact, I'd love to refer you to the book, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. But suffice it to say for now, anytime you hear 
that your body and mind or your body and your heart or your body and your soul are not unified, that should be a huge alarm to you because the truth is we are unified, embodied souls. You cannot separate a human's physical state from his or her mental or emotional state. And whenever someone tries, great harm is committed against the person. So we've got the school curriculum going on, which in some states is mandatory and parents are not allowed to opt their children out of it. On top of the curriculum, there's clubs, activities, special days, special months, and celebrations for all things LGBTQIA+. In many schools, children are encouraged to, if they've expressed any gender dysphoria, they're encouraged to pick their own pronouns. And then the teachers and administrators and counselors do not tell their parents because they think the children might be mistreated at home. Outside of school, there are powerful transgender social media influencers who depict taking hormones, for example, as the best thing that ever happened to them. They market breast binders as truly liberating. They document their transition with great great enthusiasm. They say how amazing it has been for them to transition. And like all influencers, they paint the rosiest of pictures. The full story, of course, is that many suffer tremendous anxiety, depression, and suicide ideation. It's truly heartbreaking. Many of these influencers are indeed in harm's way at home or at school. They are people who need real help. They need real treatment. They need a community to come alongside them and help them with a variety of mental and emotional health issues. But because they've created this identity for themselves, because they sort of self-made, self-defined, they feel compelled to perpetuate that identity. They need, they have an insatiable appetite for the approval of the masses to validate their own self-creation. So we've got schools, curriculum clubs, things like that. We've got the social media influence in many locations around the country, a minor child, somebody under the age of 18 can secure puberty blockers and hormones with only informed consent. Let me tell you what informed consent is. That means that on some level, the person dispensing the blockers or the hormones has educated the young person, the minor child in some way about what the risks might be if they ingest these drugs. But the minor is not required to secure the permission of their parent. Their parent does does not have to be told. The kid can go get it for themselves. Planned Parenthood offers testosterone to minors, requiring only informed consent. And counselors can help teens, they can help children, they can help young girls begin social transitioning. So social transitioning is seen as neutral, like neutral first steps. This includes changing your name, changing your pronouns, aligning your behavior with whatever gender you feel like you are. Counselors who recommend that children and teens socially transition say, go ahead. You think you're a boy. So go ahead and behave like a boy and we'll see how that feels to you. Of course, this is not neutral because the biological girl then will inevitably say she increasingly doesn't feel at home in her girl body because she started telling everyone she's a boy and they're treating her like a boy. So of course she's increasingly dysphoric. Um, In addition to all this, many college health insurance plans offer cross-sex hormones and even gender changing surgeries. I'm sure all of that is only going to skyrocket if the Equality Act passes in the Senate. Many of the drugs, hormones, and procedures that are being offered um, are, are offered without testing and without the approval of the FDA. They're er- experimental. Not only that, but their effects are permanent. If a girl is given testosterone, she will begin to grow facial hair. She will begin to have a deeper voice. Her fertility will be wildly impacted, if not 
adversely affected and removed forever. Her bone density will be affected without the consent of her parents and at the hands of, I think, well-meaning, but wildly short-sighted, misguided professionals. She will forever change her body. So what Abigail Schreier says is true. There will be irreversible damage. It's crazy to me because in what other medical situation is this okay? I can't even take my kids to the dentist without me being there and providing their parental consent. In what other scenario do we think it's okay to offer minors drugs and therapies that are not approved? without the consent of their parents. In what other place would we say it's okay to forever change a child's body in future without their parents being involved? But today's therapists and counselors and doctors, they're all trained to be only gender affirming and to follow the lead of the child. Because of this, they totally miss other issues that a girl might be facing. She might have genuine anxiety, genuine depression, and those things go untreated while the professionals rush to treat her self-diagnosed gender dysphoria. And practitioners who question the child's well-being, counselors who question this, teachers who question this, or doctors or therapists, they're fired, they're ostracized, their funding is revoked, their reputations are forever tarnished. And of course, throughout this whole process, what's happening in schools, what's happening online, what's happening with other professionals, parents are actively shut out or kept at a distance. Children are told that their parents are likely untrustworthy and parents are told their daughters are going to commit suicide if they don't fully cooperate. So these poor parents are held hostage in a way. They are grief stricken. They are at a loss to help their daughters who are suddenly experiencing this dysphoria, but they feel like they have to go on, go along because they don't know what else to do. There's a couple other striking things that I would just love to point out. First, I feel like the whole movement is oddly regressive. Practitioners are quick to go along with a girl who self-diagnoses her gender dysphoria because she says, I'm not comfortable in my body, which by the way, show me a teen girl who is comfortable in her body. She says, I don't like typical girl things. I don't like pink. I'm not good at math. So the diagnosis is quickly and automatically made. Well, you must be gender dysphoric. Well, ironically, those who think they're the most progressive, the most freedom seeking are in fact further binding boys and girls to limiting and untrue stereotypes. They're actually going back in time and assigning certain behaviors and preferences to the genders. Whereas those of us who hold to a biblical worldview are more eager to say there's a huge spectrum of behaviors and preferences for both girls and boys. God made many women to love math and love the color blue. It's not a sign of gender dysphoria. The trans movement is crazily on the wrong side of history here. Another striking thing that I want to point out is that we as a society do not behave this way with any other body issues. If an African-American young girl goes to a counselor and says, I want to be white, I feel white. I want to go by a white name and be treated like I'm part of the white community. The counselor's not going to say, yeah, you you must be white. Let's help make you white. Let's get you some creams. Let's get you some new, um, you know, ways to behave so that you can be white. No, that counselor would be rightly fired. The goal would be to help this black girl celebrate her identity, help her to see her skin and her community and her background as beautiful and God given and worthy of being, um, celebrated and lived out. Same is true for a girl with body dysmorphia. So a girl who, um, is very thin, but thinks that she is obese, that she thinks she's overweight. She looks in the mirror and though she is teeny, she sees a fat girl. A counselor would not say, Oh, you think you're fat. You feel fat. Yeah, you're fat. 
No, that counselor is going to work so hard to help that girl understand rightly what her body is, who she really is, who God made her to be so that she can be comfortable in her body so that she can walk in freedom in the body that God has given her. It's so important that we think rightly about gender dysphoria because thinking wrongly causes permanent harm. Now, Abigail Schreier um, interviewed a ton of desisters. So desisters are those who desist in their dysphoria and they pursue a detransition. So these are girls who transitioned to being boys and then said that was a bad idea and they transitioned back to being female again. More and more are coming into the light and saying that when they transitioned their gender, it was a way at the time for them to deal with stress and anxiety and other normal pressures that felt just too weighty for them at the time. Rather than digging in and dealing with those deeper issues, they say it was just easier. It was more gratifying for them to receive an overwhelmingly positive response from their friends, their teachers, their counselors. Everybody said, you're so brave and I'm so proud of you. Schreier interviewed um, one desister who said that the inside, well, actually several said that she listed several quotes, that the inside of the transgender community is like a cult. One said, I quote, you believe non-reality and you disbelieve reality. Another said, shaming is the key mechanism for controlling the behavior of the suddenly trans identified. In other words, no one wants to question or talk back to the trans movement because if you're on the inside and you do that, you will be rejected. You will be canceled. You will be hated. This is why books are banned and people are shamed online. Rhetoric that is just genuinely questioning people who are genuinely concerned about feeding our daughters drugs that have not been approved, that are dispensed by Planned Parenthood, no less, are considered the ones to be hateful and harmful. By the way, between 70% and up to as high as 85 to 90% of children who experience gender dysphoria outgrow it. But real science really is not what the transgender movement is after anyway. So as Christ followers, or really just as science followers, or feminists, people who care about the well-being of girls, we stand at a crossroads. We have a choice to make in this moment. The question is, will we follow the very strong cultural current, or will we as Christians follow the risen Jesus Christ? The cultural current is strong. You and I, if we follow Christ, are likely to be canceled, to be banned, to be defamed, maybe to be sued, maybe to be fired. I don't know. But no matter what you say or how you say it, if you choose to follow a biblical ethic above and beyond the cultural narrative, you and I will pay a price. But here's the challenge I want to make to you and to me. May we choose this day whom we will serve. And as we follow Christ, may it be his word that offends and not our own pride, not our own arrogance, not our own unkindness. We're going to sound like bigots because we hold to a biblical sexual ethic that has already been rejected and already been mocked. But let's not actually be bigots. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not our own doing. Therefore, there should be no whiff of pride or arrogance in our own behaviors. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. So let's not put trans sins or homosexual homosexual sins in a different category than heterosexual sins. One is not better than the other. Any sexual sin must be repented of. No matter anyone's temptations or anyone's dysphoria, Christians are called to pursue a holy and faithful sexuality with humility and submission to God, our maker. 
So I think for the Christian parent or the Christian adult who wants to shepherd kids in this current movement, we've got to start with that posture of humility and submission. Because the truth is the Christian life is one of continual submission. You and I have to constantly lay ourselves down and die to ourselves. It doesn't matter if it's a sexual sin or greed or anger or impatience or whatever. We are all called to die to ourselves, to crucify our flesh so that it's Christ who lives in us. We are called to put to death our sin and to walk by the Spirit. So the conversation really needs to start there. The Bible and Christ followers should never have something unique against the trans community. What we do have for ourselves and for all people is just an awareness that our God made us to thrive when we all submit to Him, when we lay ourselves down. God is our author and He has authority over our lives. We are just mere human beings with a beginning and end. We're not self-made. We're not here by chance. We have a maker. We have a God who created us in a specific way. And He really did make us in His image and He made us male and female. Today's culture echoes Satan in the garden who said, did God really say that? And the answer is yes, God really did say that. God really did make two genders and they are manifest in our DNA, our chromosomes, our biology, our hormones, our anatomy. There really is in fact, no way to trans transition your sex or your gender. It cannot be done. You and I, and no one else, no matter how hard we try, can, we can never thwart the God of the universe, the God who made us. But I wish that truth was a comfort to us at all times. I wish that reality that we are weak and God is strong would be a balm to your soul and to mine. Your life is not on you. Your gender, your sexuality is not dependent on you and your perfect performance or your perfect self-invention. You do not have to make the world go round. You do not have to create yourself. You do not have to prove yourself. You do not have to hold yourself up. God will do that. That's his role. He is sovereign and you are not. And that is very good news. There are so many biblical truths to hold on to in the tumultuous and quickly changing age that we're living in. I wish I could get my book to you now because it's not going to be out for another year, but I wrote many biblical truths in this specific chapter in my book that'll be out in 2022. But for now, I want to just say five things that I hope we can remember in the days ahead. First, it's that God created both male and female in order to express his image. Our two genders are not accidental. They're not incidental, but they're by design and they're needed. God said, I need two different sexes to put forth my image in human beings. Second, both genders are necessary to create new life. Men and women are sub-creators or co-creators with our God. This is good. This is his design. Neither gender is optional. We can't live without one of them. The third is that Jesus confirmed this design in Matthew chapter 19. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is Jesus confirming the goodness and his intention of his design of two genders. Again, they're not optional. Fourth, we are not our own. You and I were made by Jesus and for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that sexual sin is wrong. It's committed against our own bodies. It's committed against the bodies of others, and it's committed against God. You and I, Paul says, have been bought with a price. These bodies belong to their maker. They are ours to steward, but only in his image and only for his glory. The fifth truth I want to leave with you is that to be a girl is good. 
What concerns me about girls transitioning to boys is that they have somehow internalized a message that being a girl is less than. I know this is in part due to how girls are depicted in pornography. Many social scientists say that porn is part of the problem. Pornography is increasingly violent and girls are seeing it at younger and younger ages and they don't want to be victimized. They see girls on screens being mistreated and they don't want that. So to avoid violence, they try on the life of a male. We've got to protect our girls. We've got to make sure that they know that they were made female for a good reason, for a good purpose. Let's help them celebrate that, not reject that. The bottom line in this conversation is this. Our God is good and kind and sovereign. We must trust him. Therefore, if you are struggling or your child is struggling or another loved one is struggling with transgenderism, with gender dysphoria, you must choose this day who you will trust. God's design, his word, his character are all true. Though his word might not match up with today's secular values, his word is eternal. It will outlast this cultural moment. Hold tightly to Jesus. But let's hold tightly in such a way as to not make war on our culture or on people. By all means, let's vote according to our consciences. Let's call our legislators. Let's participate in local politics. Let's raise our voices in national politics. All of those things are good and right. It's good to do all that we can for the genuine flourishing of all people. And the flourishing of all people will always be aligned with God's word because he's our maker. He knows best. However, May your presence and mine in our communities be warm and winsome. May we be known for our love, not for our pride, not for our arrogance, also not for being wishy-washy about our faith and our values. Let's not succumb to what's popular in secular society, but let's be a constant source of warm light in the darkness. If Christ is in us, that will happen. We will be a city on a hill. We will be a light that shines before men so they can glorify God in heaven. Christ in us is the hope of glory and he will be seen. So consider yourself a culture maker, not a culture warrior or a culture protector, but a person who extends humility, warmth, and hospitality to people of all kind. And then if you suffer for doing what is right, the apostle Peter, amongst other writers of the Bible say, you will be blessed for it. If you get canceled, fired, or banned from the public square, Jesus will be enough. You don't have to clamor for your status or for your acceptance. You're already accepted and no one can ever snatch you out of the father's hands. So let us look out for our girls. Let us uphold the good way God has made them. Let us cherish their design and seek their good. Let us not give in to the idols of our day, but wholly commit ourselves to our God and his good way. No matter what's going on out there, the Equality Act, book banning, what's happening in our schools or otherwise, insofar as we can, let's be agents of change. But at the end of the day, let's just hold on to the word of truth and offer it up to the world for their good, for their salvation, for their flourishing. So as I sign off, I just want to ask you to do two things. One, go to the show notes. I'm linking a ton of helpful resources there. There's so much more that could be said. I've just barely scratched the tip of the iceberg. So go see the show notes. And secondly, if you're up for it, leave all things a rating and a review as that helps others, other people find this podcast. Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.